Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend here at Grace and welcome everybody watching online and our, our live sites in the Montrose building. Thanks for being here as well. We're going to jump into a new series this weekend that I am super stoked to start talking to you about. This is a, a thing that we've been planning uh, since the summertime. Remember the summertime? There's a large, circular, bright thing in the sky. Remember that? And so back then when that thing was around, uh, we started planning this and have been praying about it and working for it, laying out details and excited about uh, God's uh, working through it and the opportunities that he's opened up for it. So we're going to talk about all in, all out. And uh, for the next four weekends, this one and then three more, uh, we're going to be talking about this. And in this series, we're going to be kind of laying out some opportunities that God has before us, uh, some doors that I think he's opened for us that he wants us as a, as a church to walk through and to pursue. And I think these are things that are going to affect us and be woven into the fabric uh, of Grace Church for, for the years to, to come. And so we do this every once in a while. About every three years, uh, we kind of pause and look together as a church family and try to discern and understand kind of the next thing that God is calling us to, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of pull up around the kitchen table and uh, meet together as a family for a few weeks and lay out those plans. If you're our guest uh, and you're here this weekend or even in the weekends to come, or if you're our guest watching online uh, somewhere, we, I want to invite you to the kitchen table. And I want you to, to invite you to be a part of these conversations. And I want to invite you to listen in uh, on the family, even join the family if you want to, as uh, we lay these things out. Heidi and I will do this once in a while. Uh, we'll talk to the kids or we'll get one of the kids and say, this is, this is your next phase in life, or this is the plans that we're making as a church, as a, as a family. This is the budget that goes with it. These are the details that tie into it. And, and we just gather together and families do that. They have to arrange themselves, organize themselves sometimes. And that's what we're going to do and would love for you to, uh, to join us in that process. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, the things that God has called us to. And we do this every three years because of the way that grace is set up and structured and what we believe ultimately God calls us to. So the, the high vision of Grace Church is something we call 30 and 30. And uh, we believe that God has uh, called us to start 30 campuses, or you might think of them as churches, in a 30-year window. And we launched that effort about five years ago. We have eight campuses so far. Uh, we have six here in the greater Akron area, and then we have two in Atlanta, Georgia. And we look and say over the next 25 years, we want to see 22 more of those campuses started. So when we started the 30 uh, campuses and 30-year project, uh, what I did, frankly, was I just took 30 and divided by 10 and said every three years, uh, we're going to open another chapter of 30 and 30. So some of you have been around for a while. You might remember chapter one. Well, we called it the Big Little Project. And in that chapter, uh, we, we bought and renovated the Montrose building and launched our sports ministry in there. And we also uh, built the discipleship wing at the Gent Road building. And we looked and said, we believe that God is going to allow us to connect with folks through sport 
Uh, we, we hired Pastor Donnie and his wife Becky and their family moved in from Wisconsin and we launched all of that. And then we also said, we know that we need to raise up the next generation of pastors and, and missionaries and directors and teachers for the 30 campuses. And we didn't have any classrooms at the time. And so we created the discipleship wing in order to train those guys in that. And over the years, that project has become a part of the fabric of who we are. Sports ministry is a big part of who we are. And interns and residents is a big part of who we are. And it's woven in to kind of the life of Grace Church. A chapter two of 30 and 30 was the seed project. And in that chapter, what we did was we said, now that we have a place to train people, we need to go all in and start facilitating interns and residents and really diving into that. And so now we have uh, about 45 students who are in uh, our full-time students in our undergrad program. So we have a fully accredited undergrad program. These students are training for full-time ministry. About 20, 25 of them are our interns and residents who work <clears throat> and are being trained and study simultaneously. And so that's all happening in that discipleship wing, in the, in the place that we created for that to happen. This fall, uh, we plan on having a fully accredited master's degree program here at Grace Church as well. And so we're raising up that, that crop of interns and residents who are saying, I will go into full-time vocational ministry. I'm called to be a pastor, uh, a teacher, a director, a missionary, and I want to be a part of proclaiming the gospel uh, with my life. And so that launched through that seed project. We also, at that time, looked at our community and said, can we do something significant to combat sex trafficking in Northeast Ohio? And that's where we gave to that and uh, to, to build a safe house for Rahab, which is a ministry to rescue those who are being trafficked in the sex industry. And that safe house is gonna open here in just about a month or so. And so God has blessed all that and all those plans have come online. That same effort, we said, uh, let's reach out to, to immigrants and refugees that are landing in Atlanta, Georgia. Think of war refugees, political refugees from all over the world. The 747 is the new boat. The Atlanta airport is the new Ellis Island. God is bringing the nations to us. Can we reach them? And so we started a campus there. Uh, to start reaching them. That campus has really got its feet under it. Uh, there's 110 people that meet weekly there and it's growing steadily. Six different languages are spoken in just that small group of people. And so we're able to reach them in wonderful ways. And that's all a part of the seed project. And those things have become now a part of the fabric of Grace Church. And now what we wanna do is open chapter three of 30 and 30, and we're calling this all in, all out. And we have looked and said, we believe that God has opened up some wonderful, exciting, enormous opportunities for us. And we feel drawn to be a part of those things and invest in them and, and see if God will bless them and use them and weave them into a part of who we are as well. <clears throat> and that's what I'm excited to walk you through here for the next few weeks. Uh, I'm going to, a little bit this weekend, and then a whole bunch next weekend, talk to you about how we're going to pursue those opportunities and in detail what those opportunities are. But I think it's really, really important when we start these conversations that we start with the why. 
why would we be looking for these things? Why would we always be looking as a church and say, saying, how do we make the gospel clear and accessible? How do we make Jesus make sense? Always looking and asking how we can do that, how we can do that more and how we can do that better. And then we're always asking the question, how do we love our neighbor as ourself? Uh, what's our community need? How can we meet that need, invest in that need and be a part of it? And so we're always asking those questions and it's always important to go back and say, why would we ask those questions? What is it about the people of God that we would say, instead of like looking to ourselves saying we want this or we, we, uh, we think this would be convenient for us, why would we always be looking externally and saying how do we give the gospel, how do we demonstrate the love of Jesus in these ways? And I'm gonna tell you about what and how, but I wanna start with why. So to do that, I wanna take you to a passage that really is a foundational passage of Grace Church. Uh, if you've been here a while, I've taught you this multiple times in multiple ways, because we would look at this and say, if we were looking at a place where Jesus was making his heart and his mind clear, where we could look and say, what was Jesus thinking? And then what did he do and why did he do it? This would be one of those passages that Jesus' heart and mind would be clear, and it would be something that he would be teaching us as an example for us to follow. So if you got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Matthew chapter 9. It's page 790 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. <clears throat> and this is all on your app as well. You can open that up. And I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 9. And this is something that we have built a lot of our thinking, a lot of our prayer, a lot of our investment and effort off of here at Grace Church. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And we have looked at this passage over the years here at Grace and said, Jesus is showing us something. He's teaching us a way to think. He's teaching us a way to see the world. And that's going to inform our decisions. It's a big part of the why we do the things that we do here at Grace. Verse 35, Jesus starts here. He says this, uh, the scripture says this, that Jesus went. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That word went is a big word. Another place in the Bible later on in Matthew, Jesus looks at his church and he says, you go. And so Jesus teaches, modeled, and told his church, listen, you go, he went, you go where the people are. This is what he's modeling and teaching us. He's saying to us, listen, when you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you have found forgiveness of your sin, when you realize that mercy has been richly placed on you and grace is lavished on you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is not something that you keep to yourself. That is something that you go and you offer to other people. The Apostle Paul later on says, you do that with a gentleness and a respect. This has nothing to do with like standing on a street corner and being obnoxious yelling at people. It's got nothing to do with a salesmanship or cramming something down somebody's throat. 
It has everything to do with saying, if I found something that has changed my life, alter my eternal destiny, and if I love my neighbor as myself, I must love them enough to take this good news to them. I would go and give that to them. Jesus did that. Jesus did not set up shop at the temple and say, everybody flow in. He did not build a, a coliseum and say, okay, I'm going to fill it up and, and, and everybody just come here. If you come here, I'll teach you. If you need healing, I'll smack you in the forehead. If you give me a little bit of money. He didn't do any of that. He went to where the people are and then he said to his church, you go also even to the ends of the earth. He says in Acts, you go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you go everywhere and you take the good news to people and let them know what you have discovered. Give them a reason for the hope that is within you. Now we would look and say that's important because when Jesus is talking to the church, he's clear on this point that what a church does at its core at its core is it goes. Christianity in its very essence is a proselytizing faith. Christians want non-Christians to believe that Jesus is God because Jesus said that and he said, I am, I am the sole source of salvation. Now we do not do that obnoxiously. We do not do that violently. None of that is correct or accurate. It's with a gentleness and a respect through relationships, but it's also with an intentionality. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was taking the good news of the kingdom to the places where the people are. And then the Bible says he went to a couple of places that kind of that he would want us to go to. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This word town, some of your translations will say city. And so he taught his disciples to go to the cities and the villages to go to those places. Now, those two places are important. And they're important, especially if you hear them through the ear of an ancient person. When an ancient person heard the term city and heard the term village, they would have thought of those as two very distinct places that you interact with in two very distinct ways. When an ancient person heard the term city, they would have thought of a fortified place that you only come into with permission. So think of Rome, think of ancient Jerusalem with its walls, think of a walled city, think of gates that you would go into and there's military checkpoints. Just think of that ancient city. When Jesus took to them to the cities and he went to the cities, he would have taken them to a place like that. A place that you go, you have to go with permission and the only reason you're allowed to stay there is because the powers that be allow you to be there. The Apostle Paul was one who was kind of famous for going to these cities. And he would often be in jail because the governmental officials would put them there, put him there. And then he would use their governmental systems to appeal his case all the way. He was trying to get the Rome all the way up so that he could proclaim the gospel in these organized and structured ways. You had to have permission to be there and you had to have permission to stay there. Uh, a metaphorical city for us in our culture today would be something like the school system. 
You, you can't just walk into the school and do whatever you want, right? If you bust into the, the front doors of a school and say, I'm here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, you're going to have a really bad day on your hands, right? You would need permission to be there. There would be a way that you could do it. There would be a place that you might be assigned to go. You don't just go in and out of that. And there are other places like that. Your workplace is probably like that. There are other places like that. So when Jesus went to the towns or to the cities, he was teaching his disciples something. There's certainly a, a, a case to be made in scripture that we're to go to difficult places and go through difficult processes in order to proclaim the gospel. Chad, Africa would be a modern day metaphor for a city. It is a difficult place. It is a violent place. It is predominantly Muslim. We have to have permission to be there. And when they tell us to leave, we have to leave. We don't have any control over it. It's a city. And Jesus would say, sometimes you go to the cities, but he also took them to the villages. And for an ancient person, the village would have had a different connotation. A village was a place that you could come and go as you wanted to, and the permission to be there was relational. If the, vill if the people who lived in the village wanted you to be there, you could be there. If they didn't want you to be there, then you couldn't be there. You could enter freely, but there had to be a relational permission. In fact, uh, another place in the Bible, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was training a different group of disciples in evangelism, and he actually told them that. He said, when you go into a place, find a person of peace. If they invite you to stay, stay. If they don't want you to stay, leave. If they give you a relational permission, take it and be there as long as you want. But if they don't want you to there, he says, kick the dust off your sandals and, and leave. Just don't, don't fight them. Don't kick in the door. Don't shove anything down their throat. He took them to the towns and the villages. And wherever you go, he would say, let's proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We believe that God has opened up some villages for us to go into places that we have been welcomed and where the people there are saying, would you come here and would you stay here? An example of this, is, uh, of this village is sports ministries. We, a few years ago, decided to buy and renovate the Montrose building. We put a gymnasium in there on purpose. We launched those sports ministries and they have taken off in an enormous way. In fact, this weekend, you may not even know this, just this weekend, over 530 children would have been involved in basketball leagues and cheerleading leagues just this weekend. And with those children, there would have been about 1,500 to 2,000 adults that would have come and watched them or been a part of them playing basketball. It's a village where our community has said, will you come into this place? In fact, over 50% of those kids are not connected to Grace Church. They're just from the community. They don't go to church anywhere. They're just from the community. It's a village where the community has said, we welcome you here. In fact, we want you here. Would you do more of this? We want more sports leagues. We want, would you do soccer? Would you do volleyball? Would you do other things also? That's just kids. There's another 500 adults that are involved in sports ministry. 
And they're saying, would you do more of this? We would like you in this place. Now we would look at those families and we would say, yes, but we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We're Grace Church. So we're not, we're not really here to, to make rec leagues for people. We're going to come here, but we're coming in the name of Jesus. If, if you sign your kid up, we're going to teach them the Bible. That's okay. Well, we're going to, they're going to, when they come to practice, we're going to practice some basketball, but they're also going to basically kind of go like to a, a Sunday school class too every week. And we're going to kind of teach them about Christ. Well, that's all right. Okay. But we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to also sit down with them and, and make sure that they know who Jesus is and have an opportunity to respond to him. That's a, There's a basketball, right? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. We don't mind at all. Can you do more of that? Can you have summer camps, sports camps during the day where two working, two parent working family or maybe a single parent family and school's out? Could you, my kid loves ba uh, baseball. W would you let them play that all week long and, and hang out with them all day? That's fine, but we're, gonna, we're also going to teach them about Jesus all day long. That's fine. Okay, but they're going to have like, they're going to be taught about the Bible and about who Christ is. That's okay. Okay, but they're, they're counselors. These Christian teenagers are part of our church. They're going to be praying for them and sharing Jesus with them on purpose every week that they're involved. There's a baseball, right? And you keep them all day? <laughs> That's right. Can you do more of this? We want you in this village. And we know why you're here. There's no, grace never does anything incognito, right? We know why you're here. We understand that you're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but we want you to be here. Can you be here more? Another village that we've kind of discovered and interacted with is the village of the recovery community and specifically opioid issues, heroin. And you guys know, I bet you, that the heroin epidemic is sweeping not only our country, but our state. Ohio's number three in the country. We have over 5,000 deaths from heroin every year in Ohio. And uh, Cuyahoga County and Summit County is right in the center of it. In fact, let me do this. Let me ask you a question. If you have a family member or a friend who's been affected by the heroin epidemic, raise your hand right now. It's, it's everywhere, everywhere. We, we do about a funeral a month here at Grace Church, just connected to heroin. And, and that community is being, our community is being devastated. Our community has looked at us and said, do you have any ideas? And we've actually looked at them and said, actually we do. We, we've kind of found something. And there's a coalition of churches and we're kind of willing to, to step up. Oh, do it. Well, but we believe that the, there's only one higher power and it's Jesus Christ. Okay, can you do it quicker? Well, but you need to know that we, we believe that like the physical part of addiction is like one thing, but it's mostly the spirit that needs to be reborn and re, and, and we're gonna really focus on discipleship and things like that. Good, do you need property? You can have it. I'm not joking. You can have it. The, go the government, here, church, have it, take it. Can you make this happen faster? 
If you have a solution or something that would help, we want you in this village. We want you to stay. Can you triple down on this? And we're looking and saying, actually, I think we can, but it's in the name of Christ. That's fine with us. We need help. And if you have it, you can proclaim Jesus as much as you want. We don't care. We're desperate because this epidemic is overwhelming us. These are not doors that like we're knocking on or trying to kick in or this really difficult work. We do do that at Grace too. Really hard places that we go and we interact. These are villages that we've walked into and said, hey, we're here. We're so glad that you are. Would you stay? Would you invest? Would you give us more of what you brought with you? We want that to happen. And Jesus would look and say, right, that's what my church says. They go to those places. And when they go to those places and you are invited in, you stay in those places. And you teach people to obey. You do not go in incognito. We don't do secretive stuff. You go in in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom but when you're welcomed, you stay and you invest there more and more. Jesus goes on, the scripture does, says, when he saw the crowds, because all the crowds are in the villages. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why would we do these kind of things? Because the people of God reflect the heart of God. And when we see crowds, we see them through the lenses of Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ, catch this, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is critical. The people of God never view the crowds with contempt, never. It is never us against them. It is always us for them. Jesus did not view the people who did not believe in him or even the people who eventually rejected him with contempt, he viewed them with compassion. And he would look and say, I, I want for them what I have to offer them. Jesus would look at each of us who was born into sin. And the Bible says that in our sins, we're enemies of God in our heart. And even while we were still opposed to God, Christ died for us. He viewed his enemy with a compassion. And he would say, I want my people to think that way too. You look at people, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what their disease or their sickness is. It matters the hope and the solution you have for them. You can look at folks who are struggling with addiction and you can say, well, they made bad choices. Well, they did. Well, they should have known better. They probably should have. Well, they made their bed. They should lie in it. Nope. They should be rescued from it. You made bad choices in your sin. You should have known better. You made your bed and God came and rescued you from that, see? It's with compassion that we would interact with a community like that. You can look at people who are in the sport and you can say, well, they're, they're way too in the sport. They probably are. They, they, shouldn't be, they shouldn't be going to soccer tournaments. They should be coming to church. They probably should. They just think about it all the time. They probably do. And it's with compassion 
that we would look and say, if that is their want, need, or desire, we see that as a relational bridge. If all we got to do is throw a basketball into it, great. If all it requires is some help and some love, terrific. We'll give that because we realize that our Savior did that for us. He reached to us when we were not reaching for him. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw compassion because they were harassed and helpless. That person who is trapped in addiction is harassed and helpless. If they could get themselves out, they would have gotten themselves out. That person who is way too focused on on shallow things, like a sport, they're harassed and helpless. They're looking to meet a need in their life that only Christ can meet. And so you go into that village, see? You see those crowds. You meet them where they're at. And you proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say, that's the way that my people see. That's the way that they're to see the world around them. I want you to see the opportunity that's in front of you. In fact, he says to them, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He would look at his followers and say, do you see the harvest? Do you understand that? These crowds of people around you are, are not just people that are bugging you or annoying or have needs or have... These are, this is the harvest. These are the people that I have placed in your life on purpose. And Jesus would say, my disciples think like this. Your, your boss that you can't stand, he's not in your life to make your life miserable. You're in his life so that he can be presented with the hope and love of Jesus. That neighbor, that one neighbor, that one, right? That you just, right? They didn't move into your, into your neighborhood to, as a curse from God that God moved them next to you because he loves them. And so he moved them next to light so you could shine it in his life. That family member who's trapped, the reason that they're your family member is because you have the hope that they need. Jesus looks at his people and his disciples says, guys, when you see the world, see a harvest. Every human being, Every human being, from your closest friend to the the waitress at the restaurant, every human being is a human being with a soul and an eternal destiny. They will either go to heaven or they will go to hell. And the Bible is clear that there is no in between. And the reason that you have interacted with them at one level or another is to affect their eternal destiny. Everybody in the crowd is a part of the harvest. They need to be brought in. They need to have the good news of the kingdom proclaimed to them. The avenue in which you proclaim it is, isn't relevant. It just is what it is. The opportunity to proclaim it. And if they are welcoming that, God would say, we need to act on that and we need to move toward it. And it's fascinating as Jesus is talking about all this. He's saying, guys, my disciples, you go. You don't sit and wait for people to come to you. You go to them. Go to, go to the cities for sure, but go to the villages where, where the permission is a relational permission. When you see the people there, have compassion on them. Compassion was had for you. Have it for them. And then see the harvest that God has around you. 
understand that these people are in your life so that you can affect their lives. And then Jesus says something fascinating. He says this, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers to the harvest field. Isn't that fascinating? It's a fascinating thing that as he's talking to his disciples and zeroing them in on the harvest, he then says, start praying that God will send workers to the harvest field. But he says that, ready? To the workers. Isn't that weird? Pray that God will send workers, but you're the worker. That God will send you to the harvest field. There's like these dimensions of what Jesus is saying here. And as his disciple, God would look at me and say, well, first I, I pray for workers. Like I'm gonna pray that God will raise up workers, missionaries, pastors, teachers, directors, people of God. But I'm kind of remembering that I am the worker. I'm also praying for myself that God would send me into the harvest field, that I would see the harvest, I would have compassion, and it would, God would move me toward it, not away from it. So I pray, I am a worker, and then I also pray because we are the workers, the church then is the worker. And Jesus in his teachings and in his illustration here, he's looking and saying, guys, this is the way this works. The me becomes the we, but the we is the me. And there's a harvest, and it's plentiful. Everybody, every human being in your life is tied to that. And I need to pray that I am drawn to the harvest, and I need to pray that we are drawn to the harvest, because if I'm a follower of Jesus, the Lord of the harvest is sending all of us. This is why starting Monday, we're launching the 21 days of prayer. Where we look and say, when Jesus is talking about this stuff, he says to pray. We're pretty simple people. If Jesus says to do it, we'll just do that. And we're gonna start to pray. It's, it's, it's where he would say, dial into me so I can dial into you and begin to pray that God sends workers, you and us. So in the 21 days of prayer that starts this weekend, we're gonna ask you to do that. And I want you to start to pray for your personal harvest field. We call it praying for your three. Start to ask God that he will reveal to you three names, three people that you will pray for by name every day that God will give you a no-brainer moment for. This is not sales pitchy. You don't have to go kick their door in. You don't have to protest at the end of their driveway. You're just asking God, God, would you give me some version of them asking me, hey, what's the reason for the hope that's within you? And when you have a no-brainer moment, you're just gonna answer that question. And so we do this about once a year here at Grace because what happens is we pray for our three. Some of them become followers of Jesus and then, and then we kind of break that habit and we try to reignite it because it's so important. You're praying that God will send you into that harvest field. So we got these bracelets out again. This is how we remind ourselves. If you've got one, still use it. 
If you're like me and can't wait to get this thing off because I don't like wearing it, then we have new ones for you. And the point of this bracelet, it has a very specific purpose. It's to get on your nerves, right? And when it annoys you and it, it itches and it makes your, my arm sweats for some reason. I think I have a condition. But when it, when it does all those kind of things, all you do is you remember to pray, And we're saying, let's put this on for 21 days and let's begin to ask God to send me into my harvest field, the three people that are around me. And then let's join together as a church body. If you get out your phones right now, get out the app and click on it and click on the button 21 days of prayer and sign up. We're gonna do live events We're going to do everyday reminders to remind us to pray for our work in the harvest. So you're praying that God will send you, and then we're praying that God will send us. The me becomes the we. And God has opened up harvest fields for us where we are being welcomed as a church family. And so we're going to pray that God gives us boldness and courage and clarity, gentleness and respect as we together walk into those harvest fields. And this is where the all in, all out idea came from. It's this idea that we, we must do this together. We must go all in so that we can go all out. We we have to move together in a unison and go all in on this idea so that we can go all out on it. And, And we can move into these fields and do the things that God has called us to do so that we can go out to these harvests. And, and see people come to know Christ in new and powerful ways, okay? So do that. Be a part of the 21 days of prayer. Pray for your three and pray that we together as a church family will move out together, right? Guys, um, I believe that God has us as a church on the precipice of something very exciting. I'll be honest with you. I've been, I've been doing, I've been here leading us for almost 26 years now. It's coming up on 26 years. I've never seen an opportunity like this before. I've never seen the harvest beckoning the harvesters the way that it's happening right now in our community. I, I would dare you to think of another place in our culture right now where the culture is asking for the church. This has not happened. It's rare. Where the the church, being bold and clear about who we are, and the culture, the community knowing that, is saying, we know who you are. Please come here faster. Bold and proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom. Know clearly who we are. We want you to come here. The culture is beckoning the church. The harvest is beckoning the harvesters. It does not happen. And we look at it and say, it seems like God is opening up something where we need to move through and and we need to take advantage of these doors that God has opened. I've said it this way a few times. I feel like we've been in these fields. We've been experimenting. We've been trying. We've been learning. We've been refining. We've been hand-picking that harvest. 
and it's time to create combines and go in. We've been invited, we need to go and we need to stay. And we need to invest in these fields and allow God to do the work in people's hearts. They have opened up a relational permission for the church to come in. And they're asking us to do this. And it's, it's a unique thing. It really is. It does not happen. And we believe that God is in it. And we believe that individually and then corporately, we need to follow the Lord into this place that he has called us to be, right? I'm asking you to be a part of this. And, and what's, gonna, what's gonna happen is this. As you uh, exit services this weekend, we're gonna, we're gonna give you brochures. That's gonna start to lay out the how and what we're gonna do. And, and you'll start to get your head around that. Next weekend, I'm gonna walk you through that in detail. And I'll lay out the details and lay out everything that's a part of it so you can start to get your head around it, okay? What I'm concerned about at this point is the why. The, the what is, is just a mechanism. It always is. Why we would do it is the big deal. So I am asking you, we are asking you, I am personally asking you to be a part of the 21 days of prayer. Start to pray for your three, start to pray for your community. It will change your heart toward people and toward God. Start to do that, okay? I am asking you to engage this conversation. This is one of four conversations that tells a story. So I'm asking you to try to be at church for the next three weekends. If you're not able to be here, watch it online. If you watch it on a live site, try to be at the live site. But I'm asking you to engage it, to hear kind of the whole story of what God is doing and the opportunities that he has raised up for us, okay? I am going to ask you for money. And so opportunities take resources. And so that conversation is gonna be a part of these four conversations. You just need to know that's coming, right? And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna act on these things. It's gonna take financial resources. So I just want you to know that. What I'm most concerned about right now, the opportunities make sense the, the ability to act on them, we're confident that we can do it because we've been testing and trying and refining. The finances are available. We have them if we, just, if we are willing to give them. What I'm the most concerned about is that God unifies us as a church body. I was talking to a couple of the elders at the, the big event and we were talking about everything and they they were asking me how, you know, how everything was laid up. And I said to them, I said, we've, we've done all that we can do. We've, we've organized, we've planned, we, we've got things laid out as far as we can get them laid out. Everything is, is set up and, and cared for as much as it can be set up and cared for. I said, what we need to pray for, what I'm asking the elders to pray for and you to pray for is the unity that comes only through the Holy Spirit of God that God's Holy Spirit draws each of us individually and causes us, Paul calls it, to stand side by side. The old-fashioned way of saying it is it causes us to contend as one man. I cannot reach this community for Christ. Neither can you. I 
can do very little about the heroin epidemic, so can, you can do very little also. I can pray for my three, and I can be salt and light in the relationships that God has given me. But individually, we can do very little. What Jesus says is this, when the church unites, when we come side by side, when we contend as one man, he says the gates of hell cannot withstand the onslaught of the church. I can do very little. We can do a ton. I, I can affect very few people. We can affect tens of thousands of people. So the argument, so to say, is there. The beta tests have been run. The, the financial models have, have been checked and double-checked. That is not the issue. The issue will be God uniting us and doing a, a supernatural work. I can't even do it. God has to do it and unites us together as a church family so we step together in unison into these places where God has swung the doors wide open. Please be a part of the 21 days of prayer. Please make it a priority to dial into these conversations. We're all grown-ups. We know that it costs money to do things. And start to ask God that he would move you towards your three and then move us, move us to these opportunities to love our community, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Okay? All right. I think this weekend what, what we should do is this. I, I wanna, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I want you to begin to pray. And this is what I would encourage you to pray. Start to ask God for your three. Maybe you've been praying for your three for a while. Then if you got the names, just pray for them right now. If you need God to reveal those names to you, start to ask the Holy Spirit to put them on your heart and to bring them to your mind. God, who do you want me to pray for? That's all you're going to do. That's the only pressure there is. Who do you want me to pray for every day that they would come to know you and accept you? And God, would you give me a no-brainer moment in their life? And let's just begin that process. And then our, our, our unified effort will start tomorrow. We have the worship night come up in a week or so. But let's just begin by doing what Jesus said. He said, start here. Pray that the Lord of Harvest will send out workers. I'm praying for myself and praying for us together, okay? All right, let me, let me begin and then you pray. Jesus, love you. Thank you for reaching to us, for the compassion that you have for us, that you, you stepped into our city, our village, and proclaimed who you were and our need for you. And now Christ is your followers. We wanna do the same thing with gentleness, respect, with love and compassion. So God, help us to see the harvest, to see the people in our lives, to see the people in our community. And God, begin now to lay them on our hearts. Unite us as a church, God. Holy Spirit, do that in a way that literally only you can do it. And bind us together to contend together. 
in these still moments, God, would you start to put on our minds the three, that those that are right in front of us, that you would want us to, to pray for in an earnest and intentional way. And God, would you bring them to us even right now in these still moments, Jesus.